0: Good morning, everyone. I'd like to invite you to come and find your seats. We're going to begin our, our lesson. Just this, uh, just this morning, my wife and I were talking about this study, and we were talking about how it's, it is a bit repetitive. Have you noticed this? It feels like we're kind of talking about the same thing over and over again in this study, and it's not a criticism or a complaint. Uh, it's an observation that um, really in this book, O. Palmer Robertson uh, is making a very thorough case uh, that uh, the Israel of God under the new covenant are all who believe it is the church. And so in this study, Robertson is looking at this question, uh, who is Israel, from many different vantage points, and uh, he's treating this subject pretty thoroughly. We've looked at the Israel of God from the perspective of the land, we've looked at the Israel of God from the perspective of its people, also its worship and lifestyle, and here in chapter 5, uh, we are looking at the Israel of God and the coming of the kingdom, and I've broken this chapter into, I think, four different parts. Uh, there's just so much here to consider, and so one of the challenges we will have is to remember what we talked about in the previous lessons as we've gone through chapter 5 here uh, very slowly, uh, lesson 8 from last Sunday was part 1 of our consideration of chapter 5. That's a lot of numbers, um, but I, th- I think you get what I'm saying here. And, and so we began to consider uh, the coming of the kingdom last Sunday. Um, Robertson said that naturally great interest centers today on the question of the future of Israel. Uh, he said that it's very important for us to define terms... Uh, first of all, he defined what the kingdom of God is. He said that there is a sense in which God is king over all. He is the sovereign one. But we may also speak of the kingdom of God in a more narrow way, speaking of the kingdom of the Messiah, which is the kingdom that is manifest in the church. So God is king over all, but He is especially king of His people. So there are two kingdoms in this world. There is a, the kingdom of uh, this world governed by the evil one, but there is also the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of the Messiah manifest in, in the church. Even over this these general common kingdoms, God is still sovereign. We must admit that, right? And so we did define uh, the kingdom of, of God. And Robertson was especially helpful to remind us that Christ's kingdom, or the kingdom of the Messiah, or the kingdom of God in this narrow sense, It it is coming in stages. It was inaugurated or begun at Christ's first coming. Uh, Indeed, the victory was won by Christ then. Satan was bound, in a sense, at at that first coming. Uh, The kingdom was started. It is here now. It has been here ever since Christ uh, walked this earth, died, was buried, and rose again, and ascended to the throne in heaven. Uh, But we are awaiting its consummation, and so the coming of Christ's Kingdom is progressive. It's coming in these two stages. All of that was very helpful. And then also Robertson took the time to to define the term Israel, and I'm not going to rehash all of that, but he uh, basically helped us to see that the term Israel can be used in many different ways. And is used in many different ways in the scriptures. So we should not be surprised by the variety of the usage of the term Israel. Sometimes it is used to refer to, uh, for example, the ethnic descendants of Abraham. Sometimes it is used to uh, 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 refer to the land, a particular land that was promised to Abraham. Um, And skipping over some examples now, I will say that sometimes the word Israel is used to refer to the true Israel of God, the Israel of faith... Uh, And, of course, that is how the word is sometimes used in the New Testament in reference to uh, those who have the faith of Abraham, even Gentiles under the New Covenant era are Israel, Um, the Gentiles of faith, that is. Now, uh, point three of last Sunday's lesson, Affirmations Concerning the Relation of Israel to the Coming Kingdom. Um, how do I review all of this? Well, really what I want to get to is uh, to remind you that Robertson started to take us through the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and to show us how the Kingdom of God is introduced in those Gospels. It was a very helpful section. Uh, We looked at how the Kingdom of God is spoken about in the Synoptic Gospels. And all of that brings us to... Part 2 of our consideration of chapter 5, where Robertson begins to uh, take us through the book of Acts. And he begins to show us how the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the Messiah, is described in the book of Acts. All of that is review. And so what I would like to do now is bow for a brief word of prayer, and then we'll progress through this lesson. Father in heaven, we do pray that you would help us on this uh, Lord's Day to focus our minds upon the teaching of Holy Scripture. I do pray for this church uh, that we, O Lord, would have a solid understanding of Christ's Kingdom, of our place in it. uh, That our hope would be in Christ the King and in His Kingdom which will have no end. I pray that all of this teaching would not be merely intellectual for us, but that it would also affect our hearts. uh, That we would be Comforted and reassured and strengthened in the faith as we consider these very important themes, O Lord. I pray uh, that we all would not live for the things of this world nor for the kingdoms of this world but that we would live, O God, for your glory and for the furtherance of the kingdom of Christ. That our hope would be set there. uh, That our hope would be even in the life to come. It's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. So Robertson begins to take us into the Book of Acts. Uh, there is a relationship between the Gospels and the Book of Acts. There's a very tight relationship between the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts. Luke both wrote both of these uh, these volumes and. At one point in this lesson, Robertson does say it, it's kind of a shame the way that the Gospels are organized in our bound versions of the Bible. <clears throat> I don't know if he uses the word shame. He might. He uses kind of a strong word. But his point is that it would have kind of been good to put Luke at the very end uh, in, in the listing of the four, so that you go straight from reading Luke into Acts, because the two are so tightly linked together. And um, it is interesting to note that the doctrine of the Kingdom of God is a very big theme in Luke's Gospel, and that's going to come out in the sermon today, actually. And then, uh, of course, that theme runs right into the book of Acts and is carried on uh, further. So, first of all, as Robertson begins to look at the the topic of Israel and the coming of the kingdom in Acts, he wants us to remember the background for this teaching concerning the kingdom of God in the book of Acts. uh, And he reminds us of how the Gospel of Luke ended The book of Acts opens with a reference to the forty day period between the resurrection of Christ and His ascension to Heaven. And remember uh, the Gospel of Luke concludes with telling us about that 40 day period of time before the ascension of Christ. It's there in that period of time that Christ met with His disciples on the road to Emmaus and in Emmaus taught them that He was the fulfillment of the Law of the Prophets and the Psalms. He goes back and delivers the same message in Jerusalem. So, you can remember how the book, the book of Luke concludes. Well, the book of Acts opens with a reference to this. During this critical time prior to His dramatic departure, meaning His ascension, Jesus concentrated on teaching His disciples about the Messianic Kingdom that He had come to establish, but what did He teach them during this period is the question that Robertson raises. By the way, I I hope you don't grow tired of me talking about the Kingdom. Uh, I talk about the Kingdom a lot because the Bible talks about the Kingdom a lot. It's a big deal. It's, It's a major central tenet of the Christian faith that the Kingdom of God is at hand. It has has come and it will last forever. Uh, And so, we need to acknowledge the importance of this theme and deepen our understanding of these doctrines. What did Jesus teach His disciples during that 40 day period of time after His resurrection and before His ascension? Obviously, Jesus did not introduce the subject of the Kingdom of God for the first time during these 40 days of instruction. The background for this instruction about the Kingdom in Luke's second treatise should be found in Luke's Gospel. So He taught them about the Kingdom of God during this 40 day period of time, but it's not as if Jesus uh, appeared to His disciples in the resurrection, in His resurrection body and said, hey, i got a new thing to talk to you about, let's talk about the Kingdom. No, he, he's, he was talking about the Kingdom all along in His earthly ministry. In fact, the Kingdom was promised in the Old Testament Scriptures. Uh, but now that Christ died and rose again, he's able to bring his disciples further along in their comprehension of uh, this teaching about the, the kingdom of God. Point three here on our outline under 2a: four observations regarding the teaching about the kingdom in Luke's gospel. So we're still uh, you know, leading up to our consideration of, of Acts, we're in Luke. Four observations regarding the teaching about the kingdom in Luke's gospel. The kingdom associated with the coming of Jesus is intimately connected with the promised kingdom of the Old Covenant that God made with Israel. Here we must remember how Luke's Gospel opens. Tons of references to Old Testament Scriptures. Uh, In many ways Luke is just showing us that this baby Jesus, and this young boy Jesus, and this man Jesus, He has come in fulfillment to Old Testament prophecies, right? I don't even need to take you through those because they should be fresh in our minds. We've been looking at this in depth in our study through the Gospel of Luke. The Kingdom of God, point B, as presented in Luke's Gospel would be realized progressively. Uh, there is a, a coming of the Kingdom. The Kingdom of Heaven is at hand and yet as we progress in our study through Luke's Gospel we'll see that Christ also uh, begins to teach us about the future of this Kingdom and how it will develop and what it will be like at the very end of, of time. So there's going to be a progressive coming of the Kingdom. C the kingdom that Jesus brought should not be understood as belonging exclusively to ethnic descendants of Israel. This is a very important point. But it is present there even in Luke's Gospel. Uh, Christ is introduced as being the one who will function as a light to the Gentiles, to the nations. Even where He d- operates His ministry at first, it up, is up in the region of Galilee and even beyond the Jordan. Uh, It's in the way to the Gentile territories. He goes across the sea into Gentile territory to cast out demons from a man there and to display that the kingdom of God has come with power. There's so much about the nations and the Gentiles even in the early parts of Luke when Jesus gathered His disciples to Himself and also the crowds came to Him. And he began to preach that sermon on the plain, as we have considered. The text says that there were Gentiles present there listening to that teaching. So this Jesus, he is the Messiah, but not of the Jews only. He is the Messiah of of all the nations of the earth. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the, the world. So it's an important theme in Luke's Gospel. D, Luke's Gospel also anticipates the distinctiveness of God's kingdom in Acts by emphasizing the role of the Holy Spirit in the ministry of Jesus. Now, Robertson develops this, I think, if I remember right. He develops this point quite a bit, and it's a wonderful point. Uh, This Kingdom is marked by the presence of the Holy Spirit, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I I said in a little message on the realm, when I was kind of giving a preview of what we'd be talking about today, I said that I prepared this outline after finishing writing the morning's uh, sermon, and there's lots of overlap, and there is. The, the kingdom of Christ is different from all the kingdoms of this earth. It's, it's, it's completely different, uh, and there are many ways in which it differs, but one of the most distinctive, um, one of the most distinctive characteristics of the kingdom of Christ is the Holy Spirit's presence in regeneration and and so much of the book of Acts is about um, proving that the kingdom of God has come with power through these these miraculous deeds that the apostles of Christ were able to perform or even the fact that some would speak in tongues as a proof that the kingdom of God had come with power upon, upon them. So the kingdom of Christ is distinct from all of the other kingdoms of this earth and that the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the citizens of this kingdom. That's my attempt to very quickly summarize Robertson's point here that he begins to make on page 124 of his book. Let me read a quote from him, um, hopefully to to further this idea in in brief. Uh, Point I under D. The opening verses of Acts, point 1 rather, under D. The opening verses of Acts build on the teaching In Luke's Gospel regarding the coming of the Kingdom and its relation to the work of the Spirit. In the 40 day period between His resurrection and ascension, Jesus was regularly appearing to His disciples and instructing them about the Kingdom of God. See Acts 1.3. Just notice that. What was He instructing them about in that 40 day period? I've already said it, but I'm stressing it. What was He instructing them about after His resurrection and before His ascension? He taught them about the Kingdom of God. And so again, I'm defending myself. (laughs) I talk a lot about the Kingdom of God because Jesus talked a lot about the Kingdom of God. This is central to the Gospel. The presence of God's Kingdom. Of His everlasting Kingdom through Christ the King. These 40 days must be compared to the 40 days in which Moses received divine instruction regarding the nature of the theocracy at Sinai. See Exodus 24.18, 34.28, Deuteronomy 9.9, etc. That's an interesting observation. Do you remember when Moses went up on the mountain for 40 days and he kind of just... God gave him the blueprint for for how things would go under the Old Covenant. I mean, that's a real rough way of saying it. But for 40 days, Moses went up on the mountain and he he received these foundational instructions for life under the Old Mosaic Covenant. And we need to interpret Jesus' 40 days with his disciples in a similar way. Here he is appearing to them, and he's proving that he's alive. That, that was one of the main things he was doing. Look at I'm I'm alive. But also he was teaching them. He was teaching them. And what was he teaching them about? He was teaching them about the kingdom, the nature of this kingdom that he has inaugurated. Uh, He's teaching them about how this kingdom will advance and how it will come to its consummation. And He's showing them the kingdom from the Old Testament Scriptures too by saying, Look, this was promised and here it is. Did you read Isaiah? Well, I'm the fulfillment of Isaiah. Did you read the Psalms? Did you read the promise made to David in the Davidic Covenant? Well, I'm the fulfillment to all that. This kingdom that was promised, it's here now. It's going to advance and it's going to be consummated That's what Jesus was talking with His disciples about. He had talked with them about this before, but they didn't didn't have the capacity to really fully understand and appreciate what He was saying. But they had a greater capacity to understand what He was saying now that He was raised from the dead, and they would have a greater capacity still still after the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them on the day of Pentecost. So, I think this is a great observation. Let me finish the quote here under D1. As one commentator notes, there he, that is Moses at Sinai, was given the program of action for old Israel, as the Apostles are now given the message that is to be preached by the new Israel, and that is Robertson quoting a man named William Neal on page 126. The critical question of the disciples concerning Israel and the Kingdom in Acts is where Robertson goes next on page 127. He says, while Jesus was teaching His disciples about the Kingdom of God during the 40 days after His Resurrection and eating with them, He directed them to hmm, wait in Jerusalem, not wail, (laughs) wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Point two, the the coming of the Kingdom then centers on the sending of the Spirit by the Father. This baptism by the Spirit comes in fulfillment of the promises, the promise that not only was announced by Jesus just before His death, but also was promised by the Father in ages past. Three, the continuous instruction of Jesus about the Kingdom and the Spirit throughout the 40 day period provoked the critical question of the disciples. So, here it is. Here is the question that they ask, and it's recorded for us at the very beginning of the book of Acts. Okay, Acts chapter 1, verse 6. Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? That was their question. After all of this instruction, they asked the question, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Okay, Robert, one of Ma- Robertson's main points is that this question is highlighted at the very beginning of Acts for a reason. In some ways, it's a bad question. It reveals some misunderstanding amongst the disciples. Still, in some ways, it's a very good question. And why would this question be highlighted at the very beginning of the of the book of Acts? Anyone want to take a guess? Literarily speaking, why would I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. But literarily speaking, why would this question be highlighted at the very beginning of the book of Acts? Go ahead. I'm just going to say to make that distinction. Okay, to make that distinction. Any other thoughts on it? Do you think maybe that the whole book of Acts is going to answer the question? Yes, it is. So, when questions like this are highlighted and raised, we have to at least be open to the possibility that maybe, literally speaking, this question is being brought to the forefront right at the beginning of this book because the book's going to answer the question. The book's going to answer the question. And indeed, I think that is what we find in, in the book of Acts an answer to the question uh, Are you uh, going to, at this time, restore uh, the kingdom? To Israel? Or, will you at this time restore the Kingdom of Israel? Acts 1-6. The question so placed so prominently by Luke at the beginning of his second treatise cannot be ignored. It should be assumed that during the previous 40 days Jesus had provided some enlightenment for His disciples regarding His Kingdom. Indeed, the idea of restoring the Kingdom to Israel implies a return to the original form of God's reign among the Jews. Yet, as one commentator has summarized the situation, the question shows neither an absolute misapprehension of the nature of Christ's Kingdom, nor a perfectly just view of it, but such a mixture of truth and error as might have been expected from their previous history and actual condition. That is Robertson quoting Alexander on page 131. So, it's good. This question we see that there's kind of a mixture here. They're they're learning about the Kingdom. It's becoming clear to them what this Kingdom is going to be like. But there's still some confusion as to the exact nature of this Kingdom. Will you at this time restore the Kingdom to Israel? And I think we should take that to mean that they wondered if the, the old way would be restored. Do you all know the book of Acts well enough to see how it really is about the answer to this question? Do you remember the struggle that the early Christians had? What was the main struggle that they had? I'm not referring here to persecution. I'm talking about theologically. What was the main issue they had to wrestle with in the very earliest days of the church, according to the book of Acts? Judaism? Judaism? Yes. Uh, Yeah. Circumcision, temple worship, animal sacrifice, uh, dietary restrictions, rise, kill, and eat, God says to Peter in a vision. Early in the book of Acts the old forms are wiped away. What else? It's along these same lines. But what? All of a sudden we see that um, the Holy Spirit is being poured out on whom? Gentiles. Over and over and over again in the book of Acts. What? The same Spirit that has been poured out on Jews under this new covenant is being poured out on Gentiles. Who, Cornelius, you know, what, what, Cornelius called for Peter and he was he spoke in tongues just like we did on the day of Pentecost as an indication that the Spirit has been poured out. It doesn't mean tongues are permanent. It means that this is a transition of the ages that is breaking into human history and it's being accompanied by miraculous signs. It doesn't mean tongue speaking is permanent, but for a time as this great transition between Old Covenant and New Covenant is taking place, it's given as a sign that the Kingdom of God is, is including Gentile converts. You, you see, will you at this time restore the Kingdom to, to Israel? Uh, what's the answer to that question? It's actually kind of hard to answer, uh, at least in brief. I guess you could say yes, depending on what what you mean by Israel. (laughs) Do you see what I'm saying? And I guess you could also say no, if what you think about Israel is ethnic, ethnic Israel. Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Yeah, absolutely. The true Israel of God. Those who have the faith of Abraham, Jew and Gentile. I mean, not a restoration, but a great advancement. In another sense, no, if what you think is that Old Covenant Israel is going to be revived and, conti- and continued. Yes, Scott? So in this mixed sense that, they, that they, their understanding was in, uh, do you think that they were thinking a spiritual salvation for Israel ethnically? So The disciples? Yeah. I think there was still confusion amongst the disciples, and I think that is the point. It, it kind of it sets the stage for everything that we're told in, in, in Acts because they, Jesus does answer them and we're going to consider that in a moment. He does answer their question. But it's really the rest of the book of Acts that answers the question. And for them it was their experience. So Peter, for example, let's get into the head of Peter. He might have still been wondering if the Kingdom of God was going to be centered upon Israel at this moment in Acts 1.6. He might have still been confused about the exact nature of the kingdom of God in this moment. But Peter, at some point, was called by God to go to Cornelius. And Peter was shown the vision of the unclean foods coming down. Peter was said, told to rise, kill, and eat. And he was still perplexed. No, Lord, by no means. I have never <laughs> defiled myself. You know, the, the, the argument he has with, with God. As he, because he is struggling to comprehend the nature of this new covenant kingdom he himself is but he with god's help gains clarity over time ah the gentiles are being brought in the old covenant civil laws and ceremonial laws are no more ah you know he began to get it and and we get it as we follow the story in acts as we as we read carefully luke acts we begin to comprehend the nature of the kingdom of god but i think they were still confused in this moment yeah did you have something else yeah. That play out. does that mean it's a spiritual kingdom what for Israel the people? it's hard to know exactly where all of them were in their level of comprehension it could even be that some of them were more advanced than others but I, I think we do see we do see evidence that this was a process for them at, you know to to lay hold of a proper view of the kingdom of God even in the book of Acts that that is made evident Um it's a good question. That that would be my interpretation of that. There was a mixture. They probably understood some things way better than they did forty days earlier. They probably had much greater clarity than they did before Christ was crucified and risen, no doubt. They saw Him raised. They heard His teachings during that forty-day period of time. They were probably way more advanced than they were prior to His death, burial, and resurrection. But there were still some misconceptions that remained, that needed to be clarified. And they would be clarified through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and through their experience as God began to open their eyes to these things. Danny? I'm still having a hard time getting rid of dispensationalism out of myself. I can't imagine the radical change that they have to go through. Yeah, I, and I've tried to highlight that in the past just to say, think, I mean, change is hard, brothers and sisters, right? Well, think about this time of change. Radical change, just a, a doing away with the old and and the coming in of something totally new it, it took some time because after all these men uh, though these men were apostles and uh, were inspired by god 's spirit, they were men still, and they had to grow in their comprehension of these things okay point C is really important here um, he does Robertson says but to get to a but to get a fuller understanding of the significance of this critical interchange at the beginning of Acts, Jesus' response to the question must be considered. And here in this section He does say that some people, they, they kind of read Acts as if Jesus just disregards their question, as if He just says some things that are totally unrelated to this question of Acts 1:6. That's not quite right. Jesus' response can be understood properly only by carefully considering the various elements of the question. The query about the Apostles has three elements. One, the reality of the Kingdom itself, will you restore the Kingdom? Two, the specific domain of the Kingdom, will you restore the Kingdom to Israel? And three, the timing of the restoration, will you at this time restore the Kingdom to Israel? So, there really are three questions within this one question. Christ proceeds to indicate that the presence of the Kingdom will be established by a display of its power in just a few days. So the kingdom is going to come with power through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Uh, Soon, with respect to the domain of the kingdom, Jesus responded with a fuller answer which anticipated everything subsequently related in the book of Acts. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That is verse 8. Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel was the question. And the answer is right here in verse 8. Jesus does answer this question. Will the kingdom be unique to Israel, ethnic Israel? Will it be confined to ethnic Israel? What's the answer to the question? No. Where will the kingdom go to? Where will it expand? Through your witness it will expand from Jerusalem. So, it will start here. This is the the, the Messiah of the Jews, right? This is the Messiah promised to Abraham and his descendants. So, this kingdom will start here in Jerusalem, and it will expand to Judea, and it will go to Samaria, and it will go to the ends of the earth. And what is the story that we see in the book of Acts? The accomplishment of that very thing. So, Will the kingdom of God be constricted or confined to ethnic Israel and the land of Israel? (laughs) The answer is so clearly given. No. This kingdom is going to go to the ends of the earth. So when will it come? Well, you'll see the power of it in just a few days. The Holy Spirit will be poured out upon you. Wait in Jerusalem until this happens. And after that you're going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. C. This statement should not be regarded as peripheral to the question asked by the disciples. Instead, it is germane to the whole issue of the restoration of the kingdom to Israel. Jesus didn't, In other words, Jesus didn't ignore them. He answered their question right here. He answered their question, and their question is answered the rest of the book of Acts. Let me continue to quote here under C. The domain of this kingdom, the realm of the Messiah's rule, would indeed begin at Jerusalem, the focal point of Israel's life for centuries. So, unquestionably, Israel would be a primary participant in the coming of the Messianic Kingdom. Jesus was not teaching replacement theology in which all connection with the promises given to the fathers is summarily settled, and the Israel of old is replaced by the Church of the present day. At the same time, the domain of this kingdom cannot be contained within the Israel of the Old Covenant." Wonderful statement. Going even beyond Judea and Samaria, this kingdom would break through the bounds of Jewish political concern and extend to the farthest corners of the earth. Okay, And this is all in fulfillment to the Old Testament. This isn't a new plan. This is God's plan from the beginning to redeem all of the children of Adam. And by all, I mean not every individual, but to redeem the nations, you know, to bring them to the Messiah. This is God's plan of salvation from the beginning. The world fell into sin through Adam's first transgression and in Christ the world is redeemed. I'm not teaching universalism here. I'm I'm teaching that all the nations of the earth are redeemed through faith in Jesus the Messiah. You see it? So this is the story of Scripture. This teaching, I've already made the point, is so central to the Gospel and it is so important and also in evangelical evangelicalism today, it's controversial. I want to warn you about that, brothers and sisters. If you go to brothers and sisters, and I say it's central to the Gospel, I'm not saying that people can't be saved apart from this particular perspective. I'm not saying that. Um, But this is the Gospel of the Kingdom that we're talking about. So, by God's grace, people are wrong and confused about certain things, and yet they still have true faith in Jesus Messiah. Thanks be to God for His mercy and grace. But I'm just warning you, I'm just telling you, that this this subject will set people off in a big way if you you begin to tell them that the Israel of God is not ethnic. It's not ethnic. The Israel of God is the Israel of faith. It's, It's the church. It's not replacement theology, as Robertson says, but it is a kind of expansion theology where the kingdom that was once prefigured amongst Old Covenant Israel, man, under the New Covenant, it has just... It has just exploded those boundaries. I I mean, I love that image. This kingdom, the kingdom of Christ, the second Adam, the Savior of the world, cannot be confined by geographical borders. Aren't you thankful for that? Yeah, you are, because you're sitting here a long ways outside of (laughs) the boundaries of Old Covenant Israel. Yeah, you're thankful for that. This kingdom is not for one group of people. It is for Jews and Sumerians and All the nations of the earth. Christ came to die as Savior of the world. Um, But I bring up that little story about our past just to say, do know brothers and sisters that not everyone thinks this way. In fact, sadly today not very many professing Christians do. This could be a very controversial subject if you were to enter into dialogue with others about it. But I think you are beginning to see how clearly this is the teaching of, of the Bible. Let's move on to point D now. The Kingdom of God would be restored to Israel in the rule of the Messiah, which would be realized by the working of the Holy Spirit through the disciples of Christ as they extended their witness to the ends of the earth. That's a great statement. So, in other words, let me ask the question again. It's the question of Acts 1, 6. Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Well, if they had in their minds things being confined to the Old Covenant situation, what's the answer to the question? No. But we may also answer the question with a hearty yes, in what sense? This kingdom is going to be restored to the true Israel of God, and it is going to be given to the nations, which was always the plan. This is the the beautiful fulfillment of all of the prophecies and promises previously made. Brother, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? You're asking, couldn't it also be no in the sense of not right now? Yes, I, I, I see what you're, you're, you're doing there, and, I, and that's perfect. It, when will the kingdom be fully restored to t- the true Israel of God? When? At the consummation? So we don't lose that progressive aspect too. So that's a very good observation as well. You see how this is kind of a hard question to ans- answer with one word? Yes. No. Well, Jesus didn't answer it with one word. He answered it with many words, and He answered it through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the accomplishment of these things. The book of Acts, the whole thing answers the question. That's the point. This isn't a one-word answer sort of thing. This is a read the whole book of Acts sort of thing and see the answer to the question. Start with Luke. In fact, start with Genesis 1, and you'll find the answer to this very important question about the kingdom so, this kingdom would be restored to Israel in the rule of the Messiah, which would be realized by the working of the Holy Spirit through the disciples of Christ as they extended their witness to the ends of the earth. Already the universal extent of the Messianic Kingdom had been promised in the Scriptures of the Old Covenant. See Psalm 2.8. We are going to read Psalm 2 at the beginning of the sermon today. 19.4, 66, 7, 72, 8, Isaiah 48, 20, Zechariah 9, 10. Go to the Old Testament and read. This has already been promised. Once the Messiah Himself was seated on His exalted throne, He could pour out the spirit that He possessed in the fullness of the, on, the full, on the citizens of His kingdom. In the power of that divine spirit, the Messianic kingdom would spread to the ends of the earth. Luke, point D, deliberately positioned the disciples' question and Jesus' response in this prominent place at the opening of Acts because He intended to provide an extended, programmatic answer to the question by the whole of His second treatise. The difficulty that the original disciples had in fully appreciating the universal character of the Kingdom surfaces repeatedly in the book of Acts. And we've already talked about that. We've already talked about that. In fact, it kind of culminated in that that great Jerusalem council right in the middle of the book of Acts where they are getting together, the Apostles are, they are meeting again at Jerusalem and they are really dealing with the question, what should we demand of the Gentile converts? What should we demand of them? How much, if any, of the Old Covenant law, ceremonial law, do they have to keep? Do they have to be circumcised? Do they have to obey the dietary restrictions? What are we to do about this? The whole book of Acts is about this question. How how are we to understand the Kingdom and the ingathering of the Gentiles? What should we require of them? What, What is the same from the Old Covenant? What is new and different and not required? It's a complex question. That needs to be answered. And it's throughout the book of Acts, point 2 under D. The disciples must have understood that the Gentiles had a place in the Messianic Kingdom. But they had the greatest difficulty comprehending the mystery. That's what Paul calls it. That the Gentiles would be in every way equal with the Jews. And heirs together with Israel. Members together in one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. That is Ephesians 3.6. Ephesians um, So, yes, how do we make sense of this great mystery that the Gentiles are going to be engrafted so that the two that were once separated are now one? If your theology theology separates and distinguishes between Jew and Gentile, your theology is not consistent with the New Testament Scripture. Read Ephesians chapter 3, especially verse 6. See the role of the kingdom in the remainder of the book of Acts. In, light, in the light of this analysis of Jesus' response to His disciples' question, the subsequent references to the kingdom of God in the book of Acts can be understood. I say, see scripture texts on page 137 to 140, because, well, I can't read all of them, obviously, in the time we have. But I just want to draw your attention uh, to them at least. See scripture texts on pages 137 to 140. In fact, I think it's really 138 through 140, where there's a number of bullet bullet points here that Robertson provides uh, that illustrate this principle of their growing comprehension of the Kingdom spreading to the Gentile nations. Um, And I'm not even going to read any of them. I just want to draw your attention to those bullet points there. Those are very helpful uh, support texts for this concept. Conclusion. In the book of Acts, the pathway to the realization of the kingdom of God leads leads further and further from an Israelite-based kingdom of God to a kingdom with worldwide dimensions. That's the story that's told in Acts. Things go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. Right? Robertson goes on to say, What has happened to the primacy of Jerusalem and Judea? Well, the apostles and elders do return to Jerusalem to settle a dispute about circumcision as it relates to Gentile converts. But the outward impetus and the expanding Messianic kingdom cannot be reversed. For the remainder of the book of Acts, attention is focused on Asia Minor, Greece, and Rome. Nowhere is it suggested that the outward direction will somehow be reversed, so that at the point of climax, every... Thing. we'll center once more on Jerusalem, Judea, Israel, and the Jews. The outward expansion of the domain of the Messiah as developed in Acts represents far more than mere silence about a distinctive role for Israel in the future coming of the kingdom. It offers instead a distinctive alternative. All along throughout the whole history of redemption, Israel was promised that it would be a blessing to the nations, Genesis 12 verses 1 through 3. By the process described in the book of Acts, that ancient promise is being fulfilled. For this reason, if for no other, there is no need for Israel to regain center stage. In this divinely ordered process, God has been glorified for His faithfulness to His promises, and the Kingdom of God, pro- and the kingdom of God promised to Israel has finally become a reality. This is a great book. It really is. I I hope you appreciate it. Um, I hope your understanding of Christ the King and of the nature of His Kingdom is growing. I really do hope that it would have a practical impact upon your soul leading you to not live for this world or the things of this world or to put your trust in the kings and kingdoms of this world but to put your trust in Christ and to build up and store up treasure in His kingdom." What's the one distinctive thing about Christ's kingdom? And this sermon is going to be about this this morning. What's one, one distinctive thing about Christ's kingdom, compared to the kingdoms of this earth? Everlasting. It's everlasting. It's everlasting. What will happen to all of the kingdoms of this earth, including this one in which we live? They will, they will come to ruin. The kings and rulers will die, and these kingdoms will come to an end. Either before the consummation, certainly at the consummation. But Christ the King will rule forever and ever, and His kingdom will have no end. And so you'd better be found in that kingdom. Don't you agree? And your treasures better be stored up there. This stuff is very practical, brothers and sisters. It's not just academic or intellectual. May the Lord help us. Let's bow for prayer and then we'll dismiss. Father, do help us understand the teaching of Holy Scripture and this doctrine of the Kingdom which is so central. And I do pray that it would warm our hearts, encourage us, give us greater assurance, increase our love for You, O God, and for this great Savior that You have provided, Christ the Lord. It's in His name that we pray, Amen.